Kushner, and welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. And, you know, when people hear casually out and about that I'm a wellness coach, I'm a personal trainer, or I'm a well-being speaker, they make all kinds of assumptions. And one of the things they seem to assume is that I've got this like wild, varied life and I do all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, And I do sometimes, but a lot of my times actually spent at a keyboard or on camera um, looking at screens. And that's because I do a good chunk of my work virtually. And I remember back when I became a trainer back in my 20s, I partly chose to do it because I didn't want to be glued to a desk all day. Because one of my big beliefs is that our bodies will adapt to the most consistent stimulus that we give them. And so if what I give my desk every day, what I give my body every day is a desk, (laughs) um, that means my body is going to adapt to sitting at a desk. And, you know, I know that I've got a body that does not love sitting at a desk all day. But as my work has evolved, that's where I'm finding myself. And so part of that decision of letting my work shift to be more glued to the computer meant that I wanted to use the knowledge that I had to find better ways to do the things I want to do, right? To respect the body that I'm in. And fortunately, there's a pretty significant body of evidence out there that shows that when you sit all the time, it's not great for you. Now, that whole body of evidence, well, sitting all the time includes improve, eh, increases your risk of cardiovascular diseases. So it increases your risks of things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, stroke, heart attack. You get the idea. Um, it increases the risk of having a dysfunctional metabolism. So higher blood sugar, hormones like insulin, Um, your pancreas just not being able to keep up, mitochondrial dysfunction. So if you remember back to like high school biology, your mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Well, sitting all the time means that you're not using the energy that your mitochondria are making and they can start to become dysfunctional. And so you get this cascade that all together is metabolic dysfunction. Sitting all the time is related to greater all-cause mortality, which that phrase, negative all-cause mortality, essentially means you'll die younger, right? You're you're less likely to have a long uh, life and a long lifespan, right? Like out here doing cool stuff. And one of the things that we've learned in this last few years is that the people who work out at the beginning or the end of the day, right? They have one big workout and then they sit all day long all that sitting is not doing them any favors, even if they exercise, right? The exercise is better than not, but the people who don't sit all day, the people who get up and move, they have better health outcomes. And so you've probably heard some version of sit less, move more. But if you listen to this show, you probably also picked up on that vague platitudes don't actually work in helping people make better choices. In order to make better choices, people need specific information so that they can choose to make specific changes. And sometimes we might soft quotes know something, but not know enough to apply it well. Now, most of the people listening, you're probably either a coach or a trainer yourself, or you're listening because you want this good information for yourself. So either 
you work with people who are stuck at a desk or you yourself are also stuck at a desk. So applying it really well becomes so important when so many of us are living at our desks for a good chunk of our lives. So that's why I was very excited this year when a brand new study was published actually testing how much movement do we need in the day to make a difference in all of these health outcomes. And that movement, we call movement snacks. So if you thought you were getting an episode about Fritos, I'm so very sorry. Uh, If you want to walk around and eat Fritos, go nuts. Nod to my producer. Um, But what this is actually about is how do we take that idea of like snacking, like grazing on your snacks all day and apply it to your body, to your movement when you're in a lifestyle that promotes a lot of sitting. And so for that, I want to share this study. Now, I realize that not everybody gets totally amped talking about studies or you'd be this kind of nerd. Uh, But I want to explore this study as just not only an example of how do we take good science and apply it in our lives, but the kinds of evidence we want to look for when we're talking about actually looking at research and applying it to lifestyle instead of just making it stuff up. Like what does evidence-based practice actually look like? So let's get to it. The study, you ready? Here's the title of the study. Breaking up prolonged sitting to improve cardiometabolic risk, dose response analysis of a randomized crossover trial. So the study is by Duran and colleagues from Columbia University and Mount Sinai Medical. And again, like breaking up prolonged sitting to improve cardiometabolic risk, dose response analysis of a randomized crossover trial. Let's break those phrases down and help you make them make sense. So breaking up prolonged sitting to improve cardiometabolic risk. Remember that thing I said before about like sitting all the time we know increases your risk of cardiovascular disease and metabolic dysfunction. Well, if we break up the sitting, it should improve the risk. But the big question is like, how much? How long? Like, how long do I sit? How long do I have to move to actually get the benefit? Because we need the specificity, right? Just sit less, move more isn't specific enough to build a lifestyle behavior around. It's too vague. So how much do we actually need? So dose response analysis essentially means we're going to try different things and measure what they do to the body. And then we'll be able to say like, okay, this much of that thing does this, this much of that thing does that, and then build recommendations because now we're watching what's the dose and what's the response. And then the phrase randomized crossover trial. Essentially, different kinds of research use different methods. And a lot of lifestyle research is based off of what we would call a self-report. So essentially, people like fill out forms, they take surveys, they track stuff. And then we have to trust that what they say is accurate. The problem with that is when we look at like what people reported versus what they actually did, typically they're way off. Like most people's self-report are way, way off. And I'll just throw this in here. Most of the nutrition studies you look at, most of the exercise over time studies you look at, like they're almost all self-report studies which means that a lot of the science that we're basing our recommendations off of is already flawed, but it's the best we've got right now. But the cool thing about this study, the reason I'm getting so amped about this study is a randomized crossover trial 
is when you take a group of people and you randomize what they're going to do. And the reason you call it a, so a crossover trial is you're going to have them specifically do stuff in a random order with breaks in between that let them resettle back to baseline. And then we're going to see what happens to like one person over all of these different conditions. And then what happens to a group of people so we can find a trend. So instead of just relying on self-report, we're going to actually do science and test a theory and see what happens. And the theory is, is that if you take that what happens to a body for eight hours just sitting and we start to break it up throughout the day with movement, what happens? And fortunately, they did this study, so we know what happens. Let's look at it together. So the key thing here is the difference between a survey and an experiment. An experiment means we're not relying on their faulty memory. We're going to do stuff. So before this study was published, there were no experiments directly comparing different break frequencies with a control. So a control is when you have a test of, well, what would happen if we didn't do anything? So if people weren't getting up and walking around, what happens to their metabolism? What happens to their blood pressure? Now you might think, well, that's just dumb. Just get up and move more, right? Like, why do we need to study this stuff? Just, just do it. But again, I want to remind you, like the, the confirmation bias that exists there, right? Confirmation bias is the assumption that what I believe is just right because I believe it. And you're the type of person who listens to a science-based positive psychology wellness lifestyle podcast, right? We're, we're already biasing to people who want to bring the good stuff in the world. And what we need is specific evidence so that we can make specific practice recommendations that we know we're going to work, right? So just because we're like, ah, just move more, like this is often a fallacy in coaches or people in fitness is like, well, we do it, like you should just do it. But a lot of people need more, they need something different. So let's look at what's actually true when we look at this study. Now I will caveat, there's one thing about this study that I don't love and it's its size. It's only 11 people, but it's because the study got interrupted by COVID. So I forgive them. We're all adapting, right? Uh, so you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and we're looking at movement snacks. What does the latest research tell us about how movement snacks works, why they work as we weave them into our lives. So this study, they get their 11 people together. Everyone did this initial snapshot of all of their health data and everyone was fixed up with something called a continuous blood glucose monitor. That measures your blood sugar in real time. You can even look at it on your phone. So then you can see what different activities and lifestyle behaviors are actually doing to metabolic function in real time right? If I, if I look at blood sugar as an indicator of like how responsive is my pancreas and my muscles and all of my hormones to what I'm doing, is it keeping up? So we get, everybody's got a blood glucose monitor, everyone's baseline health information. The 11 people come in and the first thing they all do is do on different days, this eight hours of uninterrupted work. They are just glued into the chair for eight straight hours. And that gives us a baseline snapshot of what does their body do if they don't move at all? And then this is the randomized crossover part. They totally randomized four other conditions. And on different days, when people have had a chance to like get settled to a baseline and they control for food and they control for sleep, they come in and they do one of four things, right? Let me break those four things down for you. Getting up every 30 minutes to do a light walk for one minute. 
right? So they work for 30 minutes, they get up, walk around for one minute, come back to the desk. And that's all controlled by uh, a heart rate monitor. The second one is 30 minutes of work, five minutes of light walking. Number three is 60 minutes of work, one minute of walking. And number four was 60 minutes of work, five minutes of walking, right? So there's kind of two time gaps here, right? I'm either working for 30 minutes and taking a one minute break or a five minute break, or I'm working for 60 minutes and taking a one minute break and a five minute break. So all the tests improved blood pressure throughout the day. So the people who just, when they sat for eight straight hours, their blood pressure was not great. When they got up even a little bit, even once an hour for one minute, their blood pressure was improved throughout the day and after work. But this is where we get to the cool stuff. This is where we get to the specificity, right? We want specificity when we're making recommendations to our clients so that they can actually do the stuff and it's not vague. Only the group where you got up every 30 minutes for five minutes improved their blood sugar response. So let me say that again. You work for 30 minutes, you get up for five minutes, and you get a better response from your pancreas making insulin, keeping your blood sugar controlled than any of the other conditions. So in order to improve metabolic function, what we know from that is you got to get up for five minutes after 30 minutes of work. That's our frequency for our movement snacks, even if it's just going for a light walk around. Now, when I've seen this study reviewed other places, this has been the only big takeaway was the metabolic benefits, which is cool. I like them. And the additional layer is those people who were getting up for five minutes every half an hour and just like puttering around, they had a better blood sugar response to their dinner. So that tail of their metabolic improvement had, was long. It went into the evening. Um, but there's actually something cooler in this study that wasn't even written in the conclusion. In order to find it, you had to read the whole study. And the reason it wasn't in the conclusion is it wasn't actually what the researchers were looking for. Remember, the title of this study is that they're looking at cardiometabolic function, right? They want to look at the heart and the metabolism. But, 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 they also did subjective measures. They asked everyone to rate their fatigue, their mood, and their perception of their own performance at their work. And of those three measures, the people who sat all day, well, everyone sat all day, right? Everyone did all five. But on the day that they sat all day, they felt more tired, less motivated, they were in a bad mood, and they felt they weren't very productive. The people who got up for one minute every half an hour, also bad mood, more tired. Every other condition was mixed results except for one. And it's funny because we already talked about this condition, right? The people who got up every half an hour for just five minutes, they were less tired, in a better mood, and more productive. And as a wellness practitioner, as a positive psychology practitioner, as a person who helps people build lifestyles that lend toward well-being, that is so key. It's not just about your metabolism. It's not just about your blood pressure. They are happier. They feel more productive. They're in a better mood. And I really want to drive this home, like fully reviewing that data set, looking at one simple thing that people could do that would have multi-domain moving that lever. Boom. That's my intervention right there. That's the thing that I'm going to tell clients to do because they're going to feel better. 
They're going to be in a better mood. They're going to get more done. They're going to be happier. They're going to be nicer. And oh, wait, it also helps with blood pressure, A1C, metabolic function, stroke risk, all the other stuff. Five minutes every 30 minutes. That's a snack. So let me tell you how I do this with my clients. Because we started doing it back at the start of the pandemic, just because I was working mostly with New Yorkers and all of a sudden they were sitting instead of walking and they got kind of miserable. So this is what I started having my clients do. It's a modified version of the Pomodoro technique. And if you're going to Google that, Pomodoro is the Italian word for tomato. <laughs> and it's a fun origin story. Go look it up. But the Pomodoro technique, the modified version that we're going to play with is how I do it with my clients. So you're going to set a timer for 25 minutes of work. Now, if you want to do 30, go ahead and do 30. That's what the study said. But we do 25 and you'll hear why in a second. 25 minutes of work and then a five minute movement break, a five minute movement snack. Um, and in that 25 minutes of work, you're going to work on either a single task that can be chunked down that small or banging out a to-do list, right? Because we want the sense of accomplishment in that 25 minutes. And then for that five minutes, once the timer goes off, you're walking, you're stretching, you're foam rolling. Then you're going to repeat that for two hours. So four times and then go off and take a longer break. Now that four hour block, that's, excuse me, that two hour block, that four iterations, that's why it's 25 minutes of work. Five minutes is it chunks to a nice half hour. And it's easy for people to schedule that into their day. What I do with my clients is we make a list ahead of time of corrective exercises, stretching, yoga, rolling, the walk they want to go on so that they don't have to think at all about what to do next. They're just going down the hit list of the things that I want them to do every day anyway. And that in the before times, before I knew anything about any of this, I used to have my clients be like, oh, it's going to be 20 minutes. Just bang out 20 minutes. You can do 20 minutes. But to them, 20 minutes is so much. And instead we bake it into their Pomodoro. And now you've got time for your rolling, your stretching, your correctives, your walk around, right? All of that just folds right in when we structure it this way. So let me break it down one more time. 25 minutes of work, five minutes of rest, like active rest. The work block, you're focusing on a single activity or a single to-do list that you're just moving down the list to get something done. Repeat it for two hours and then go off and take a longer break. The other place that I think this research could really inform our work is how we structure our meetings, the tempo and expectation of our meetings. Because if we know five minute break, every 30 minutes, get up and move, it makes it easier to process information, you're productive and you're in a better mood, but we keep booking these one hour Zoom calls. So one of the things I started doing in about half of my workshops is 25 minutes in, we take a little stretch break and the feedback I'm getting is, oh yeah, that was really nice. And it does actually make it easier to absorb and learn because I'm not just straight shot absorbing the entire time. So this is an invitation. Rethink how this research might change how you work or what you do with your clients or your teams. How can we start weaving this kind of information into our lifestyle expectations, knowing that just taking that couple of minutes to get up and walk around will actually make you happier and more productive. And we know that when people are happier and they feel better physically, they tend to stick around longer. They're more productive. They're better work colleagues. Uh, and we have greater, what we call in the biz, satisfaction with life. So 
movement snacks. Start thinking outside of the box. I would love to hear from you about how this research shifts your own work. And I think we're going to find that there's more and more actual tested evidence base out there and less and less of these subjective uh, uh, surveys. Because the desire for evidence-based application is growing. We, we're moving away from anecdotes, and I can't wait to revisit this topic with you when more research comes out. So if you're one of those people listening, that as I talk about working with my clients and as I talk about um, trainers and coaches and you get excited and amped about the idea of doing that kind of work, well, listen up. I got a little something for you. The National Academy of Sports Medicine has a wellness coaching certification that I was deeply honored to get to be a contributing subject matter expert to. There are experts in sleep, stress, coaching, neuroscience, movement, positive psychology, and it is delivered online in just a world-class platform. I was honored to get to know the people who built this. Rich Fami, who was just on the show last week, helped build it. And they are experts in adult learning and they share that information in such absorbable and excellent ways. I've been getting great feedback from people taking the course and how they press they are at the delivery. So that certification available through NASM's website, I want to offer you $600 off whatever the current discount is. And that code for that discount is Marshall CWC. So that's my last name, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C. WC. So you're going to go to nasm.org, click wellness at the top, use that promo code at your checkout for $600 off, whatever the current price is. And of course, I just said, I want to hear how you're going to use this movement snack information. So you're going to want to reach out to me to do that. Well, you should find me online on Instagram. I'm darlene.coach. My email is info at darlene.coach. You can also find me on LinkedIn or I'm out there on Substack giving you application tools from all of this evidence. If you're a fan of the show, I hope that you've already subscribed. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and give us that like. Um, and of course, comment, share, tag me if you share. And if you haven't left us a review, please do so. It does help us game the algorithm. And one of the ways that you could really help this show grow is to share it with somebody who you think that you would benefit from this information. Thank you so much. Be well, and we'll see you next week.